everybody, and welcome back. Thanks to everyone for listening in. Be sure to like, comment, and hit that subscribe button to catch a new episode every other Thursday. And remember to support each other with some life support. With that, let's introduce our guests, Amy and Maria, which, fun fact, you've heard that right, guests. It's our first uh, multiple guest episode. We're very excited. Um, So first, let's introduce Amy. Great. Hello, everyone. Uh, Nice to meet you. I'm Amy Walters. I'm a clinical and health psychologist and excited to be here today. Awesome. Thanks, Amy. Can can you just, um, for a little bit of context and fun, can you tell us where you just came from? Absolutely. So you're looking like I'm looking really professional, a little on the uh, casual side today. I actually just drove in from the Idaho Diabetes Youth Program's winter camp. So we've been up with a bunch of kids with diabetes in the mountains skiing and snowboarding and uh, snowshoeing. And so, yeah, happy to be able to jump in and be a part of this today. That's awesome. Love That's it. awesome that you've got snow. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of snow, yeah. Good. Well, thanks Thanks for uh, jumping from the snow to uh, the, the interview. We, we appreciate that. <laughs> you bet. Uh, perfect. Well, thanks, Amy. Maria, could you introduce yourself as well? Yes. So my name is Maria Torres. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And um, thank you for being here and listening. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Um, so mental youth mental health is a constant topic nowadays in the news. Uh, why is that? And what are some of the biggest issues, trends that people should be aware of? I can start with that a little bit. Um I actually have just some information from the Surgeon General of the United States, um, and this is just a direct quote. Mental health challenges are the leading cause of disability and for life outcomes in young people. Unfortunately, in recent years, we've seen significant increase in certain mental health disorders in youth specifically, including depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. So this was and has been an ongoing issue for a long time. But I really feel like the pandemic has really accelerated and amplified a lot of what we're seeing. Um, And just add to what the general surgeon said, um, also the American Academy of Children and Adolescent Psychiatry, the Academy of um, Pediatrics and the Children's Hospital actually declared that the pandemic-related decline in child and adolescent mental health has become a national emergency. So these are really the top leading um, of any health um, agencies that are providing us information and telling the rest of the country and the world, this is an emergency. Yeah, and if I can just piggyback on that, I love that you shared some of the, the statistics there, Maria. Um, you know, one of the things that we knew was even before the pandemic, um, CDC suggested that like one in five adolescents would have some kind of mental health issue um, and only about 20 percent of them were getting treatment. And definitely in the research, as well as in my own clinical practice, we've just seen a tremendous increase in anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. Um, the American Psychological Association recently, they have a publication called APA Monitor that they put out. And in that, they were talking about that from just March to October of 2020, um, ER visits for mental health issues with kids was up 25%. And in one of the studies um, that was surveying parents, like 70 plus percent of parents said they really felt like the pandemic had taken a a toll on their kids. And about 69% said it's the worst thing that had ever happened in their lives. So we've just seen this tremendous impact on our kids and teens through the COVID pandemic. Yeah, those stats are crazy. Um, and I, 
I know they we were talking about youth, but I feel like it, the pandemic hurt everybody in so many different ways. I mean, so some people got married, but most people didn't. Like a lot of people got divorced, like from just friends that I've, you know, spoken to about these types of things. So I guess in your practice, what are you seeing in regards to youth mental health? Uh, you talked about the stats. So like, what are you seeing? What are you guys experiencing in the clinics? Yeah. And I just to give a little background. So I've worked in mental health, but in the healthcare setting for the last 12 years, um, between emergency rooms, pediatric clinics, um, primary health, health and we've seen a large increase. And I think another thing I've seen even in the last three, four years is adolescents and younger children are becoming a lot more comfortable with sharing um, what they're experiencing, which I think is why we're seeing a huge, I mean, the pandemic contributed, but I think we also have been doing a better job uh, encouraging kids to talk about it. And and I think that combination of the pandemic with kids getting more comfortable has just had this huge increase. I mean, doctors were asking me this, this kiddos, so a lot of them are really forthcoming. Some of them are, are still kind of guarded and require a lot more finesse to be able to talk about these issues. But I think I've seen an increase in how comfortable kids are talking about it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And clinically, so I work in two different settings. I um, do more traditional clinical counseling at the St. Luke's Humphreys Deputy Center. And then I also work in our children's hospital in an integrative medicine department. And in both of those areas, just seeing a lot more depression, anxiety, um, social isolation. I think a lot of people, you know, especially during the stay-at-home orders of the pandemic, uh, people got used to staying home and some people just stayed at home. We also saw a real increase with kids using screens. And so as they're engaging more in screens, they're engaging less personally. And so as a result, we've just seen a real decline. The other area that I'm seeing is just a change in lifestyle. And I want to bring that up because those two things are so interconnected. You know, when you're eating, making poor choices with your eating habits, you're eating a lot of junk, you're eating a lot of sugar, which a lot of people did during the pandemic. Uh, when you're not getting good sleep, when you're staying inside and you're not exercising, that has an impact on our mental health. And so all of those things were prevalent in both our adolescent and our adult population during the pandemic. And I really think we're seeing the long-term effects of that now. And I think a little bit to add is just the adjustment because there was a back yeah. and forth between your home, your school, and a lot of kids that didn't have an issue of being in school in the past after the pandemic, they were like, it's too overwhelming, it's too many kids, it's too many people. And so even the adjustment of going from one setting to another or the uncertainty of you're going to be home for this long, no, you're not, you're going to be Tuesday, Thursdays here, but then home Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, that continuous change and then the adjustment I think took a big toll on the kids. Yeah, that lack of, of predictability, the uncertainty, the lack of knowing what's going to happen next has really been shown to cause stress kind of across the ages. And that's what we were dealing with during the pandemic, right? Nobody knew what was happening next or where we were going to, what that was going to look like for the next school year. So I agree with you, Maria, completely. That absolutely makes sense. I know I change what I'm making for dinner and my toddler's night is ruined. Like it, <laughs> Exactly, but, exactly. But really, to, to do that chronically for kids and adults. Um, but, you know, are, are kids really just little adults? Like, no, just kidding. I mean, there's so much that's unique about the care for kids, but I think that oftentimes we just lump um, mental health all together, like mental health for adults, mental health for kids. What are some of the biggest differences that um, y'all would highlight about working with kids versus adults in a clinical setting? I think in defense a little bit with younger kids, 
um, a lot more of what behaviors you're exhibiting, just kind of checking in and see how often you see those. With older kind of adolescent kids, it's just the approach. Um, a, lot th- a lot of them tend to be a lot more guarded, um, a lot more private. And so it's just the approach and understanding what type of personality is your child, what approach works better, is listening better, is approaching and asking better, is the combination of the two better. Um, and then I think in this, and then there's one of the reasons why I like working with adolescents because there's a lot of dynamics between parents and adolescents. So if like, I'm becoming my own person. I, I know everything. Well, you don't know enough. And so there's a lot of um, issues between those that relationship that sometimes can make that even a lot more complicated. Um, many times I had patients, adolescents in the clinic that said, I've never told my parents about this. I, I've, been, I've, I've been struggling with this for months and months, but I just never found a time or a place or I didn't know how to bring it up. I didn't know how they were going to respond. Or I told them, but they got scared and didn't do anything about it. So I think that is kind of specific to the adolescent group. Yeah, you bring up such a great point, Maria. I think one of the things we have to think about when we work with um, kids and adolescents is context. So we've got, first of all, this developmental context. Um, at different ages, kids are developing at different rates in different areas, their cognitive development, their social development, their emotional development. I always want to look through that lens and we're working with them. You know, where are they on that spectrum? And we need to meet them where they are and address those issues. We also have this family context. So kids live inside a family. They're connected to this peer group. They're part of a larger school community. And all of those things have interplay with mental health. So we want to think about that and we want to work with the family as we're working with kids and adolescents. We want to make sure that they've got great supportive peer groups and that uh, healthy school relationships and healthy school support. So what I'm hearing is just kind of this ecosystem that surrounds kids is so important to considering their mental health and their behavioral health, um, probably even more so than when you think about a lot of adults who may not have all of those connections um, that are really influencing them and so integral to what they're doing day to day. Um, But that that still makes me think about the families. And it seems like families, um, for better or for worse, are so involved in um, their ch- child's mental health and their child's um, mental health development and treatment um, and support. So for families that are really looking to enhance the way that they're supporting the, the children in their lives, what are some of the things that they can really do to, to be that um, safety net, to be that support, to really help that child? I think one of the main issues is just to listen. Um, I think a lot of the times we feel like we have to fix the issue right away without even knowing what the issue is. So I really feel like most importantly and foremost, just listen, provide love, patience, positive examples. I think sometimes parents just be in a role model and say, look, even grownups get overwhelmed sometimes and this is how I deal with it. Uh, providing some examples and just being honest um, and and I think instilling hope and saying, look, it's not just me and you. If we together can figure it out, we'll go to your doctor, we'll get counseling, there are options. And I think instilling hope is probably a major part in it all together. Yeah, I so agree with you, Maria. My first thought was the the listen, right? It was like, we got to keep the conversation going because if you're not talking to your kids about how they're feeling, what they're doing with friends, what they're enjoying in life, you know, what's going on, you don't know. So you can't always just tell what's happening um, without having the conversation. So we want to start there. We want to make sure that our kids have great, su- positive social support systems. So family, friends, church community, 
um, other kinds of camps, organizations, 4-H, whatever it is that they're into, we just want them connected and plugged in with somebody who's a positive uh, person in their life that they can turn to. So making sure that they've got those social engagements. I think that having um, activities that they enjoy, something that they're passionate about, that they're interested in is really important. So helping kids find those paths Looking at the lifestyle piece as parents, how do we support that? You know, even though it's hard, can we say, hey, it's 10 o'clock, turn off the screens. Let's get outside and move our bodies a little bit. Let's make some healthy choices with our food so we can support those things. Um, and then I think just really paying attention. And if you're noticing changes with your kids, you know, are, are their sleeping habits changing? Um, are you noticing differences in their mood? Maybe they're a little more irritable. Are we noticing um, changes with friends? Are we noticing changes in school performance? If something's different, it's time to start, you know, tuning in a little bit and asking a little bit more about that and then reaching out and getting the help they need if it's beyond what you feel like you can do as a parent. Perfect. Uh, I'm taking notes and going back and listening to this. I, my, my three and a half year old is we, we talk about big feelings in my house a lot. And uh, what I'm hearing from you is that we need to continue to talk about big feelings and explore those big feelings and accept them and just to have them be a part of our lives. Exactly. Whatever comes up is okay, but just keeping that conversation going in through those conversations, we really teach kids how to have a feeling vocabulary, how to talk about that. There's a great amount of research coming out that shows that when people don't talk about feelings, but when they're just stuffing them all the time, it has effects not only on mental health, but on physical health. So the earlier we can develop that skill in our kids, the better. Yes. Yeah. So is are there any other like techniques? That, that was going to be my question, but I think the previous question kind of answered some of this. It's just like a lot of listening and a lot of just talking. But I know when, I mean, also when I grew up, it was a stigma, right, to talk about mental health and also Hispanic. So we don't see therapists, right? That's yeah. like you, that's a no-no. <laughs> like you go talk yeah. to a priest, you know, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's that kind of thing. Um, I guess that was, that's one thing that I think about is like, are there other techniques on how to get somebody to think about it positive? Because you talked about family support and like, what if the family doesn't even know how to be that positive road model? Like, how can parents or even just non-clinical people demonstrate that, I guess, is my question. Yeah. Well, I think one really good example that I often talk to parents and families about is Mental health should be just like physical illness. Mm -hmm. If you have a child that require, that has asthma and requires an inhaler, you don't just say, we'll figure it out without the inhaler. I <laughs> mean, when running out, you go, if you're having issues with breathing and the one you have is not working, you go back to your doctor. If you fall in, you notice deformity in an arm, you're like, gosh, we need to go to urgent care. Something's not right. So the same goes for mental health. Anytime you notice something is not, it's not the way it should or is giving you concerns or it just looks deformed, <laughs> then go seek help and ask and say, can we take a look? And I really think that if we look at it through that lens, it makes it so much easier. Mental health is just like any other physical illness and it should be approached and treated as such. Yeah, mental health is part of health, right? Our head and our body are connected. Last time I checked, we don't get to separate them. So it's all one and, and really normalizing. Um, for kids and for families, that this is just part of, of a healthy lifestyle is being in tune socially, emotionally, physically. All of these elements um, are part of good health. And so we want to talk about all of them. Perfect. And so I think that for the right reasons, right, we've been talking about family. Um, but we also have this village that you kind of touched on, Amy, about, you know, connecting out into community and to the things that kids are passionate about. 
Um, so for those that might be listening that maybe aren't necessarily parents or clinicians, but are part of that bigger village, that community, what can they do to help support um, mental health and wellness for, for the kids in their lives? Yeah, I think looking for opportunities to engage with youth is huge. So there are great volunteer opportunities out there. You know, you can volunteer with your local diabetes camp. You can volunteer at the YMCA. You can do big brothers, big sisters. But getting involved and engaged, kids need mentors. And and as Maria mentioned earlier, sometimes, especially in adolescence, kids don't want to talk to parents about things. You know, part of what they're doing developmentally is trying to separate So having another trusted adult in their life can be incredibly meaningful. So getting engaged directly, if you're not comfortable engaging directly, you can do financial support, you can do other kinds of support for youth programs, but really creating those opportunities within our community so we can build these strong communities and create that village of care. And sometimes just helping your child identify a positive role model in your life, because sometimes they don't even think that way. And when you sit and ask, well, who else? Okay, so it's not your mom and dad. Who can you talk to about some of the very heavy stuff in life? Who do you trust? Who's a healthy um, influence in your life? And even just helping kids identify, if you can't get a hold of me, who can you reach out? What can you do? Um, and then I think just to kind of tie on to that question, I think we as a community also have a duty to become more aware and educated. Um, I mean, if you work in any setting, I think we need to become aware of what to look for. Um, I know there's trainings, mental health first aid trainings that people can take, um, just becoming aware of the environment, the needs in your community, and then what you can do to help. I, I think that, Maria, you kind of hit on, you know, whatever setting you're in and um, that it seems like this is kind of reaching critical mass among the general public, right? Yeah. That Every, everybody's starting to be aware that this is an issue. And definitely the same is true, it seems like, in the clinical environments where we work, that people who once said, well, I don't, I don't work with youth mental health, it's like, well, in some way or another, you do, right? So for clinical providers that might be at that point, like, man, I, I'm seeing it more and I can't, yeah. I can't just ignore it. Um, what are, what are the, some of the things that you would suggest that they start to do in their practice around youth mental health? You know, one thing is just getting training. If you're not comfortable, that's why we have continuing education. There are all kinds of things available. Um, American Psychological Association is a great resource. The National Association of School Psychologists, National Association for Counselors and Social Workers, they all have CE available on working with kids. Uh, providing a professional mentor and connecting with another provider who does work with kids and adolescents can be helpful. And then just adjusting practice to support kids. So being able to pull in families, offering visits, you know, during after school or school hours. Uh, and then the other thing is just integration, right? Well, the best thing we can do is go to where the kids are. So if we can work in our primary care settings, in our adolescent medicine settings, in our school settings, so that we've got this great uh, network and safety net for kids and we can provide that access as needed. Yeah, and I think I agree with what Amy said. A lot of it starts with the providers themselves saying, okay, maybe I need extra training here. And then starting to implement assessments. I think that's going to be a big one is if you if you are starting to standardize assessments for mental health, not only will you be able to see the kids that are coming in specifically for mental health, but you'll be able to catch some of the kids that maybe are not advanced. But then the issue becomes is what do you do with those assessments, right? If you don't have a mental health practitioner and that's in there that you can just work with. So that's when integration becomes a great option. And obviously it's something that 
I think will become more and more um, recommended as we go on because we're starting to see some of those benefits. And and I think medical providers are speaking up about how the benefits of it and obviously ultimately the outcomes, right, of the patients if we have this integration. So, yes, I agree with, with what Amy said. So you mentioned schools a couple of times yeah. already. Um, how do schools come into play in these discussions of youth mental health? Yeah, schools are critical. And, and I spent an early part of my career working in the schools, so I feel like I have firsthand knowledge of this. Um, when we talk about access, right, schools are the best way to access kids because all kids go to school. So they're there anyway. So it's a great opportunity. Schools can start with education. They, and they do a great job of this already. They have the curriculum that oftentimes the school counselors are delivering where we're talking about mental health. We're opening up the conversation. Uh, we have on-site services available at different levels. And then really looking at integrating more mental health professionals. So not only the school counselor or school psychologist, but bringing in those community providers and being able to provide on-site mental health services at a more intensive level so kids don't have to leave school, they don't have to miss anything. And we're starting to see that in communities. I think it's really exciting. Yes, I agree. And I think um, additionally what I really would like to see is doing a lot of the preventive preventative doing a lot of just education for students, not just teachers, because I know teachers are seeing it. They are seeing students that are withdrawn, that are not passing, that are having issues at home, that are not showing up to school, that are not really able to engage in, in classes. And so I think teachers have gotten better at identifying when things are going on, but then what resources do they have? So I think number one is increasing resources for schools. Yeah. Um, like just like integration in the medical setting, I think we need to have integration in the school setting and put in counselors and therapists aside from the school counselor that just can go strictly into behavioral health and provide services as needed in the school. But I think the second piece to this is doing a lot of preventative education yeah. for adolescents. I mean, we know that mental health diagnoses um, are the answer is like before you're 14. So 50% of the people with mental health issues have probably had it since they were 14 or younger. So we know that this starts early, early on. And so if we had some kind of, you know, modality or specific um, curriculum, not just in education, but to teach about behavioral health wellness that's mandatory for everybody. I think that would be a really good step going forward. You know, and I'm so glad that you bring up prevention, Maria, and I just want to piggyback on that if I can, because I think that's always where the most bang for the buck is, right? It's like if if this is where the mental health issues start, if we can start over here and jump in, all the better. And so with that prevention, you know, that's not just about addressing mental health issues. That's about how do we engage our kids and help them learn how, you know, how do you connect with friends? How do you find passions? Do we have some after-school programs that you can engage in? Not not just athletics. Athletics are important and we do a great job of that, but not every kid wants to do athletics. So what other kinds of things can we provide? And then how do we support that healthy lifestyle with movement throughout the day, encouraging great sleep habits, limiting screen time, and healthy choices at breakfast and lunch, you know, really embodying that full positive lifestyle. I can't tell Amy about the office chocolate I found right before <laughs> this interview. That 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 was the only thing I could find. I was so hungry. I'm sorry, Amy. I'm sorry. There's, there's a place for all of it, right? It's okay. And that's what we want to teach our kids. It's just all about moderation. Yeah, okay. Right. Balance. All balance, right. I feel better. Sure. I feel better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no forbidden fruit, right? It's all okay. We just want to teach them that moderation and that skill and how to make those healthy choices. 
I love that. Well, I've learned a ton in our conversation today. Thank you Absolutely. both so much for the discussion. I, I think that this is just kind of like the um, good entry point into the discussion with youth mental health. I think we could dive into so many topics, but it's so important, so critical, especially in this moment, and your expertise is so valued. Life Support is a podcast developed by CWHO with the support of the ISOS grant, where we talk to providers, experts, and others about their experiences with health and the systems that create it. This podcast music is written and performed by Anthony Leon. The show is also produced by Anthony. For more information, visit us on the web at CWHO.org, and remember to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks, everybody.